Tired of settling for less than the best with your team's dryland program? SwimStrong Dryland is the answer you've been looking for. With world-class dryland programming for every age group, customized to fit your team's needs, nutritional coaching and education centered on the latest evidence-based research, leadership training and character development to promote an athlete-driven culture, sports psychology education and mental skills training, coaches' corners to promote collaboration, data-driven performance analysis, and an unrivaled family of athletes, coaches, and teams, Fast Swimming starts here. We individualize training in the pool, so why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available, so go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. All right, here we go. We're up. Jared Hardy, how you doing, man? I'm great, Brett. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, we met through uh, my my affiliation with any question the other day. We had a conversation kind of looking at possibly bringing you onto the platform. But ultimately, I was just really interested in your life's journey, your life story, where you're at, what you're doing, um, your experiences, your knowledge. Uh, really interesting man. And I just I felt like we connected really well. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of share some of your life experiences on here, if that's all right. Man, I love it, Brett. I'm I'm honored to be here with you, and uh, yeah, I look forward to, to having a good conversation. Yeah, well, for those that uh, don't know much about you, they can do some research for sure. But just to, during this time, I, I want to talk about your your time in law enforcement. You spent 21 years in in the police force, and then you've also got a podcast called the On Purpose Podcast, which is uh, out there, and you've been doing that for a number of years, which is a brilliant podcast in itself. So people need to go follow that, and then. Uh, you've also written a book called Extraordinary People in Ordinary Places. Um, you, you seem to have like this fascination with or, or um, not even a fascination, more of just an intrigue in, you know, just really normal people that have done really great things in their life. Right. Not, not only really great things, but just impacted people greatly. And, and mm. I really want to shift the mindset and, or at least plant seeds so people recognize the coach at their little league sports or mm. a high school teacher or the, the buddy they had at work for 20 years are playing a monumental role in shaping them. It's mm. not always these Hollywood movie stars or politicians or presidents that if we stop for a minute and just look at all the great people around us, yeah. we, we can be pretty humbled mm -hmm. and, and, and approach life with much more gratitude than I think we see a lot of times in today's society where we're so focused on more and more and more. I want to challenge us to go back and say, wait a second, what kind of greatness am I surrounded by and how, how's that impacting my life? And have I told those people thank you or not? Yeah. And, and um, those people are all around us, really. If we look hard enough, like we can find those people. And and as you're talking there, I was thinking of kind of the custodian back when I was at Auburn University. You know, he was kind of the caretaker of the pool, you know, and um, that was his role. And a lot of athletes would just walk in and 
he would almost be invisible at times to them because he was just the guy that opened the pool to them, basically. But what I saw is a man that would get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, come and make sure the pool was ready and uh, the facility was intact and then it was clean. And it was just appropriate for when the athletes walked in the door at kind of six o'clock in the morning, a couple hours later, it was just everything was up and going and and it was all unnoticed. But but this man had been putting in work and, he, and he'd been doing it for 25 years straight and he never took a sick day, things like that. So there, there's people like that all around us, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's nice to draw attention to them. And people, ultimately, people want to know that they matter in life, right? Like we want to know that what we do today is actually making a difference. Mm. And so many times we're reluctant to say, Brett, man, you're very, I love you. And thank you so much for doing this because it impacted me here. Like we hold that stuff until most of the time a funeral, right? And then we go yeah. to somebody's funeral and you hear all these great stories and you're like, how come nobody told him or her this while they were alive when they could have mm. appreciated it mm. and had that satisfaction? So that's why I wrote the book. And then that segue kind of into the podcast where I just love getting people that I just randomly find and sharing their story because I, I, I truly believe everybody's story needs to be told and that everybody's story will impact somebody if we can mm. get it out there. Well, let's dig into your story a little, Jared. You know, what's your what's your life story? I mean, obviously went into law enforcement, had a career in law enforcement, but why did you go into that side of things? Yeah, that's that's interesting, Brett. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, man, I um, I feel just fortunate that at a young age, I, I really was clear on why I was going to do things in life, and it goes back to like my fifth birthday, and I I, I was at this classroom, I don't even remember what it was, but I had like five birthday cakes. Mm. And and I was like, man, that was like my best birthday. It wasn't until later in life that I asked my mom, I was like, mom, I remember this birthday where I watched the fire trucks drive by <laughs> and I remember like five birthday cakes. I felt like the king. Why? Why did I have five cakes? <laughs> and she's like, well, you were in my GED classes with me. Cause when I didn't, you know, my mom was 16 when she got pregnant with me, 17 when she had me, she had to drop mm. out of high school and she gave up a ton of her life mm. to keep me. Mm. And I got all those cakes cause there's all the other teenage moms were also in that class with her mm. and we were raising each other's kids. And wow. so I knew, and, and a lot of what I've done in my life is I want to make sure that at the end of her day, she never goes, man, if I hadn't kept and what would my life have been look like, have looked mm. like. I want mm. to, I know she gave up so much opportunity for herself to keep me that it's my responsibility to explore all my opportunities so I can share them with her so that she sees like what we've created. And that's, that's why I do what I do. And that's why um, I know that I'm supposed to explore different things and share stories because when I do stuff like that, my mom lives vicariously through me. And at the end of her days, I don't ever want her to regret that decision. Has she ever had it? Have you ever had a chance to sit down with her like openly and honestly and ask her why she kept you? Yeah, I, we talk about all the time. Me and my mom are super close. And um, yeah, we talk about she's she's like, you know, she would say she, that I saved her that as a teenage mm. girl, like she doesn't know where she'd have been without me and having mm. me grounded her. And then my brother and my sister came along shortly after. And mm. um, and it's a great life. But like, I think that's one of the things that I really stress to people is know why you're going to do what you do 
right? Like have a strong why, because if we don't know why we're doing what we do, it's easy to get distracted and pulled in a thousand different directions and really lose focus. And, um, you know, wake up at the end of our days and go, man, what if, what if I'd have tried this or what if I'd have done that? And, and that's really what I try to avoid in my life and sharing stories of other people that are also living life with a, a really direct purpose on trying to get the most out of this ride. So in terms of the what if, why then law enforcement? Was that the pull to you of like, I need to, I need to go do this? No, honestly, it, it's completely happenstance, man. I was, uh, I was a college athlete. I was playing baseball and my, my whole career goal was major league baseball or bust. I had no plan B. <laughs> um, and then I wasn't good enough, man. I got to college and, you know, I was good enough to get there, but I just couldn't go on. And I knew Where'd you it, play man. in college? Uh, at Garrett College out in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, I just wasn't good enough. So funny story. Um, I was eating a chicken sandwich in the cafeteria like I did every day at lunch. <laughs> and I looked over and there was an Air Force recruiter sitting there. And I was like, hmm, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. The Air Force looks kind of fun. And that'll mm -hmm. give me four years to figure life out. So mm -hmm. I literally walked over and sat down with him. I was like, if I want to do this, how fast can I get out of college? And he's like, take the test. We'll get you on the road in two weeks. So I took the test, scored high. And he's like, law enforcement looks like a great fit for you. So I was like, shoot, you're the boss. Send me there. And that's what I'll do. So wow. I joined the Air Force, got into law enforcement. But I was never, never one of those guys that would tell you, like, from a little kid, I wanted to be a policeman. And I just kind of stumbled into, I think there's a lot of parallels in sports, right? Like law enforcement sports, you have a team, you have to sacrifice for others. One person doesn't pull their weight, it tarnishes the whole team. So I think there was a lot of commonality that kind of just naturally pulled me that direction. What do you mean by Air Force and law enforcement? How are those two related? Oh, very similar, right? They're military, so you're working in small teams, you're sacrificing for the greater good, right? Like in the military, you might get sent off to fight a war against people you don't know for people that may or may not appreciate it, but you got to do it because it's, it's part of your mission. And law enforcement, you... You got to go out and enforce laws on people that at the time may or may not appreciate it, but it's, it's part of the mission. It's what keeps order. And, and then within that, there's teamwork, right? And there's bonds like sports teams, right? Because if I'm willing to go die for you, Brett, if you and I know when we come into shift every night, if the universe aligns, there's a chance one of us doesn't go home or both of us doesn't go home. I need to know that I trust you and that that we have this camaraderie that that you don't find in a lot of places in society. So I think there's a ton of parallels between military, law enforcement, and athletic teams. When I was on sports teams myself, there's obviously teams that that click and then and then individuals that obviously don't fit within that group and uh, subsequently drop out. So I'm, I'm sure you experienced the same thing going through your initial trainings and things like that in law enforcement. So how did you make it through and, and where did other people fail? How did I make it through? Uh, mental toughness is the biggest thing, right? Like you got to show up and you got to be willing to, to work hard to get good at something. Mm -hmm. Just like, like you said, the athletes, like when you get to college, everybody was pretty much the best person on their high school team yeah. Yeah, or yeah. one of the best. So what separates them? It's not mm -hmm. a talent level. It's a work ethic. And am I willing mm -hmm. to work harder than the next guy? And, and I think that's the same for, for law enforcement and, and the military and athletics is, will you put in the work? Because your talent gets you so far. And if mm -hmm. you're just a, a freak, genetic, 
gifted person. Maybe your talent puts you at the best in the world. But from what I've seen, most of the, the best in the world are extremely talented, but they also have a ridiculous work ethic. So was that something that you just had innately in you, that work ethic, or did you have to learn through mistakes along the way? Yeah, I think you learn through mistakes, and I was fortunate to to be held accountable. To be honest with you, you know, if you if you look at my book, there's a, a chapter in there about a, a man called Bruce, and he was a referee at a local youth athletic center that I played basketball in. And I was about 12, and I was a trouble kid. I wasn't making good decisions. I was getting in a lot of trouble, and and he held me accountable. He sports is what kept me going at, at certain times in my life, and he would mm. kick me out of games. He would take away the thing that meant the most to me. If I wasn't living up to what I should have been and what the expectations were, and it's a fascinating story, and that's kind of one of the stories of an extraordinary person. Here's a referee at a local youth center that actually held a kid, not his son, accountable to behaviors and expectations that without him, I don't know where I would have been, right? And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of one of the things we're losing in society nowadays is we don't hold each other accountable real well. We don't hold ourselves accountable. Well, it seems like America is setting itself up, you know, longer term for comfort. Like they want everybody to be comfortable and happy. It's like there's this focus on happiness and feeling comfortable and being accepted. And those, those things, yes, are absolutely important. They were important when you and I were growing up as well. But there seems to be a heavy emphasis on that now where we're getting away from the things that you're talking about and the the hard work and the discipline and the setbacks and things like that. It's almost like we're trying to eliminate those things from kids' life, right? Yeah, I, I think we're soft. You know, I mean, I think we're we're soft and we, we we're kind of taking this mindset that my happiness is somehow your responsibility, Brett, and you need to do everything you can to make sure I'm happy. And, and I would argue like happiness is internal, joy is internal. And no matter where we're at and what our plight is in life, what our current daily struggles are, there's got to be some joy and happiness in there if we can reframe our thoughts to look at it that way. Mm, yeah. But, but it's nobody else's job to do that, right? Like I can't, it's not social media's job to make me feel happy about myself. It's not the president's job to make me, it's my job. But if I don't even know what I want to be happy, if I don't even know who I want to be, well, that's kind of like going on a road trip without a map. You're just driving and hoping you end up somewhere cool. Well, then how do we set people on that path then of, of discovering, you know, happiness, right? Like it seems to me that you were most happy when you're on the basketball court. And when somebody took that away from you, that's when you were unhappy. But you realize, like, I'm only going to get happy if I get back there, right? Like, and so that that was the driving force. And the referee was smart enough to know that. He cares about this, right? Like For this sure. is something he cares about. And you've got yeah. to find things that each individual cares about enough to say, hey, we're going to take this away for a period of time until you're willing to do the work to get back to it, right? Yeah, but I think you're 100% right, Brent. I think it comes to this. How did Bruce know that basketball meant that to me? He paid attention. Mm -hmm. He paid attention. Like think of how many people we walk by day by day by day. Maybe maybe we're office mates. Maybe it's the custodian, and we don't know their name. We don't know anything mm -hmm. about them. That's right. one of the ways I would say. Like as a society, how do we find more happiness? Well, get to know the dang people around you. Mm -hmm. Get to to actually know somebody and and care enough to go, Brett. 
man, I noticed you're down today, bud. Can I help you with something? Or Brett, I noticed like you said you had this goal that you wanted to do this, this, and this, but you haven't shown up to the gym in a couple of days. Can I switch my time to make sure you get there with me? Like what's going on? Like we don't have those conversations where it's almost like you said earlier about the happiness thing. Like I'm so afraid that if I say something maybe that might hold you accountable to you, that's going to hurt your feelings. And I'm going to be the bad guy when those are really the critical conversations we need to have with our friends. If we truly love them and we truly want people to be the best, there is accountability. What seems to me like what Bruce was doing too was he was putting your best interests above his own, you know, personal, whatever it was, right? Like a lot of times we, we do things out of how is this going to affect me? How's this going to, you yes. know, change my team and what, what, what's good for me. Right. Instead of saying, Hey, that kid's in, in need of help here. I'm going to go out of my way to say, Hey, I'm, I'm taking this away from you because in the long run, this is going to serve you and not me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And and I think you're absolutely right. We are a very selfish society. Most of the time now we're always looking for our angle instead mm. of how can we serve others? Right, right. T- tell me about your law enforcement career. Then you're in the you're in uh, police for 21 years. What what was that career? So I started in uh, Montana for four years, and then I my family and I moved down to Northern Colorado for the last 17. And it was a bunch of cool assignments. That's one of my favorite things about that profession is you can do so many different jobs within an agency that your career has a, a broad perspective, but you're not changing employment all the time. So, mm. uh, you know, I worked patrol, which is where you start out. And then I was a school resource officer at a large high school. Um, I was on the SWAT team. I did defensive tactics. So that's training like hand-to-hand use of force. And then probably my favorite job was the last eight years I ran our academy. So I was the wow. point of contact for all the recruits from the minute they got hired until they completed their year-long training. So I got that's where I really loved mentoring and coaching and, and, and getting people to believe in themselves and, and challenge some of their beliefs. But um, we, we hire so many great people into law enforcement that it, it's imperative that you allow them to be great within it. Sometimes in a government organization, we hire all these fantastic people and we kind of compartmentalize them to fit the same mold to put them through training. And, and I really found that like coaching them as individuals, much like I was receiving in athletics, paid huge dividends. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, there's, there's definitely that need for any type of training where you need to be coached up, right? But And especially in law enforcement, I would imagine. And I'm going to say this, and, and I hope it doesn't offend you, but law enforcement ha- gets a bad rap in this country. You know, like I'm from Australia. And when I came over here, it, it seems like there's, there's, and I don't know where it, where it's originated uh, or permeated, but it's definitely in the fabric of the culture where there's this us against them mentality a little bit. And, and it seems like the mentality amongst the general population is there's a lot of bad police out there, right? Which is not the case at all. There's a, there's a few bad eggs in everything that we look at, right? But but that's kind of the general perception that I get as an Australian coming over to America is like, we're against the police and all the police are bad. Is that something you felt while you're in the police force? No, completely opposite. Complete. Here, here's here. It's a funny example. So I was doing a talk at Colorado State University to a law enforcement, a criminal justice program, senior level class. 
And it was after one of these recent use of force issues that had gone viral on national media. So they know I'm a policeman in there and they're a college senior. So, so they're really probably not in line with what some of my beliefs, right. They're thinking certain things. So I asked them, I was like, okay, how many of you think most cops, like 90% cops are racist and abusive. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the class raises their hand. Everybody. And there's probably, there's probably 60. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay, so now I follow up. I go, okay, okay. Now, out of this, all of you, how many of you personally, personally mm. know a police officer? Like know them, him or her, and their family. Right. And probably 75% of the class raises their hand. And I go, okay, those of you that have your hand up that you personally know somebody, how many of you think the police officer that you personally know is racist and abusive and all the things? If you do keep your hand up, if you don't put your hand down, all the hands go down. There's like two. So I go, okay, see, that's our point. That's our problem in America. It's that the cops, you know, you believe in, you think they're good people. They're human. You interact with them. You know, their kids, they coach your sports, whatever. The ones you don't know, mm-hmm. you think are negative. So mm-hmm. what does that tell me as a law enforcement professional is we got to bridge the gap between our community and our law enforcement. Cause if they know us, they think a certain way. Right. If they right. don't know us, they think a different way. So that's our fault. That's law enforcement's fault. It's not the citizen's job to come up to the police officers or the police department and ask, hey, tell us about yourself. Let us get to know you. Right. That's our job to be police officers for eight or 10 hours a day, but to also be respectful citizens and parents and coaches and new sports and volunteer at the church or the art club or music, whatever it is that makes you human. Do more of that. Right. 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 Because yeah. because you said there was this us versus them mentality. I think that that's law enforcement's fault. We put up these barriers. We 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 conditioned ourselves to be afraid of everything and everything's fearful and we're always on edge. When the reality is 98% of citizens love and support you in most communities, right? There's obviously outliers, but for the most part, 98%, 95%, 90% of citizens are gonna do exactly what they're supposed to do. Yeah, and the, and also, but the majority of the time, right, is you're not dealing with the 95% of the citizens who 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 ta- you know take care of things and sure. and and above the, uh, b- yeah. uh, you know, work within the law and things like that. So what you spend your time doing is working with the citizens that are always working against the law, right? Which is exactly my point, Brett. Which is why if you only interact with your citizens while you're at work, right? Yes, a hundred percent of your citizen action interactions are with the ten percent that are causing yeah. trouble. Right, right. Which is why you've got to have outside activities. Which is why right. we need you coaching sports. We need you volunteering. We need because that is how you ground yourself, right? If mm. I only spend all my days looking at this aquarium full of sharks mm-hmm. why well, think every fish is a shark mm-hmm. right but here comes little nemo in this other aquarium i don't even appreciate nemo's beauty his stripes right because i think everything's a shark same for law enforcement if i only deal with my community when i'm at work and i'm dealing with the population that's causing the issues well that's really unfair to the other 90 percent that i'm there to serve and it's unfair to me for the longevity of my life to not get some reprieve to feel good about people to do things that make me feel alive. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. When we coach law enforcement, 
I will coach you in classes and law enforcement skills that will make you better as a cop, but I'm going to challenge you to get out and be better as a person. Is that is that being done in is that being pushed individually that agenda or is that being department wide but like departments of police saying hey we need to do a better job department wise to get out in the community and be be a face for the community are they pushing that agenda I don't know I think it depends regionally where you're at locally what your beliefs are I think there's mixed messages right and uh, sometimes we'll publicly say we want cops to do that but then we also want data from cops. And what does data look like? Data looks like traffic tickets and arrests and quantifiable mm -hmm. things. But that's a lot of law enforcement isn't quantifiable, right? If why I do, go why to, do they want that? Is that is that so they can get funding? I would guess you tell me. <laughs> you tell me, right? But in a data-driven world, mm -hmm. if I'm gonna say, Brett, I want you to, mm -hmm. to advertise on my podcast because I'm mm -hmm. making it different to people. Mm -hmm. The first thing you're gonna ask me is, what's your numbers? Mm -hmm. How many people you got? Mm -hmm. Right. You don't care if I'm making a difference to one person. You want to know that I'm making it to a million because then right. that's worth your money. And right. and law enforcement, government is business, right? Like government gets a certain amount of money to do certain things. Mm. Well, what about uh, this situation that happened over the past couple of years, this, this defund the police situation? How, how did that affect the police? I'm not in it like you yeah. have been in it. So like what went on there? I mean, I think it, it depends where you're at in the country. Certainly there's bigger cities that had the whole defund the police movement. And I don't disagree with parts of it. Now, I'm not saying you take police money away, but I'm, I'm not opposed to more accountability for how government spends their money. I think that's a fair assessment. I'm not opposed to changing how law enforcement trains. And, and to making sure that we don't just write government agencies blank checks to spend money because they've always done things a certain way. So I think I think there's some positive things to challenging the status quo. But I clearly would also say that it's you can't just defund the police and take them away and expect to have law and order remain in your cities, cities yeah. or your towns. Right. Like it's yeah, a balance. Yeah. yeah, yeah but I, absolutely. I I think it's a great point for law enforcement to go, hey, wait a second. Is there some truth to some of this? What can we learn? Because I think a lot of times one of the biggest disservices we do as a profession is we put up barriers and say, nope, it's not our problem. That's somebody else's problem. When, when the reality is, let's fix some stuff, right? Like if there's racial issues and racial injustice, let's look at fixing it. At least let's examine the problem. Let's be open to discussions because clearly, um, not addressing things is not a way to solve problems. You've always taken this approach uh, in terms of coaching law enforcement to succeed through confidence, like like a real yeah. good coach would, like an athletic coach would do the same thing. Is like build confidence in law enforcement. Don't don't instill fear in them, right? Like don't have a right. fear based group of people. So, what's the difference between you know the fear based coaching and and the you know the confidence based coaching in law enforcement? Uh, well, for me, it started when I was doing a mixed martial art. So I had been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for like 16 years. And I, I wanted to compete in mixed martial arts. Like I had been a team sport guy my whole life. And this was the ultimate individual sport. So I wanted to try it. And, you know, I was 42 when I did my first fight. And I had been a policeman mm -hmm. for like 16 years. And while I was training with a world champion coach, Ryan Schultz, one of the best. 
And I noticed, like, even though I'm preparing for a fight, which is a, an agreed upon set of rules, agreed upon weight class, a certain night and date uh, with a referee that can stop it. It's a sport. Even though I'm training for all those known factors, we're pushing physically, we're pushing skill set, but then we always come back to heart and mind. We're talking so much about our feelings and the mental preparation and the fear and the anxiousness, and we're mm -hmm. doing breathing exercises and meditation. I'm like, wait a second. If I'm doing all this for a sport, why am I not doing this for my cops? Mm -hmm. Why are my cops training all physical skills, skill, skill? but they might not believe in it. They might not have the heart. What, what, what are they afraid of that I don't know because we haven't openly discussed fear. Mm. And, and I started thinking like, wait a second, if, if the cops are gonna go out there, if the men and women are going out there every night, not knowing the size of the person they may fight, the mm -hmm. struggle that's gonna ensue, when it's gonna happen, who it's with, and there's no rules and it could be more than one against them, do I want them going out there afraid of everything or do I want them to believe in themselves? Do I want them to have confidence? And, and what I saw is when I get them to be confident in a certain skill set, confidence carries over to other aspects of life. Right. right and, and that, right. and that, and I'm developing critical decision-making and, and decision-making mm -hmm. from opportunities and not of, Oh my God, if this happens, I don't know what I'm going to do, but instead of, okay, if this happens, I have these options. I know I'm ready. And what I always tell my students is I can't bless you and say, like, danger's not coming your way. I can't do that. But what I can tell you is you're, you're not going to be unprepared because I fail to give you everything I have. Right. And that's the difference between coaching somebody focused on the results and just giving them material and what they do with it themselves. And that's kind of training. Right. Like training is I give you information. What you do with it is kind of up to you. No, I want to coach you. I want to give you the skills, the training. But I also want you to know that we're invested in the outcomes, successful outcomes. Mm. And a lot of that is not the hands-on skill, but it's the mindset and the beliefs. Have you had a chance to, to see this in action where, where somebody's made change and, and grown in this area where, you know, maybe they've gone through the, the training of just being very tactical. And then now they've gone through some of your work and, and come back to you and said, this has really made a big difference to me. Yeah, I have. So I had a... Uh, I might get the year wrong. July, uh, I retired in 2018. So July 2017, a young lady uh, was involved in a critical incident. Uh, super awesome young lady. I had met her in an academy that I was coaching at, and then she came to our agency, and I did her background and did all her training. And she was involved in a critical incident, which uh, a guy with a knife was chasing another officer. She's mm. driving by. She saw it, spun around, got out. They got in a shooting. The officer being charged with a knife didn't fire. She's the one that got out and stopped him from getting stabbed. Wow. And she texted me at like four in the morning, Brett. And mm. she says, Jared, I want to thank you for all your coaching. Um, I wow. heard your voice. I heard your voice, she tells me, Brett, talking me through step by step how to handle that situation. Mm. And I share this with all of my students because guess what I never taught her, Brett? What? driving. I know I was not a driving instructor. I didn't teach her how to talk on the radio. I never was on the firearms range with her. I never shot one single bullet with her, never spent a minute in any of these other disciplines with her that came into fruition. and had to be used to save a man's life that night. Mm. But what I taught her 
was to believe in herself. What I taught her was to be prepared Mm. and confidence carries over, right? Confidence goes, if I'm confident in talking to you, Brett, I'll be confident in doing the next thing I'm going to do today because I'm prepared. Former swimmers looking for a way to give back to the sport in New York City, reach out to Imagine Swimming. Since 2002, they've been the premier learn to swim school with international and American staff, including Olympic champions, Anthony Irvin and Eric Vent. Imagine Swimming offers infant to adult classes, plus competitive team options, water polo, and an artistic swimming club coached by an Olympic silver medalist. With flagship locations across Manhattan and Brooklyn, Imagine is always looking for the next generation of swimmers to pass on their knowledge and passion for swimming. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Yeah, it's so it's so funny because it's so easy for me to relate it in an athletic sense of like, here's this skill. Now, here's how I'll get confidence developing these skills and using these skills in an athletic mindset in a swimming world. Very simple for me to relate to that. More difficult in the sense of what you're talking about, right? Like you just you think of cops as just very reactionary of like grab the gun, you know, kind of thing. Right. But but it, there's so much more detail to it. Like there's choice in everything, right? Absolutely, there's choice, and and I think that's that's what what you're on is exactly what I'm after. As a coach, you prepare your athletes the best they can to handle as many situations as possible. Right. But you right. know. You can't possibly know every scenario. So you have to develop them to make decisions for themselves Mm -hmm. under the pressure of the pool. Maybe the water feels heavy, the the lanes or whatever the case, they got to decide because you can't do it for them. And law enforcement is the same way. Like I got to give you a skill set, but more Mm -hmm. important almost than that skill set is the belief and the ability to make decisions that you're going to make good, tactical, legal, lawful, lawful, ethical decisions when I'm not there to tell you what to do, which is coaching. Yeah. We see that now too. Like we see that in, in the, in unfortunately some of the cops that are making some bad decisions under pressure too, right? Like a lot of the cops have these days have the, have the cam. I don't know where they put the cam if it's a chest or the head or whatever it is, but yeah. And then, but then they have, you know, every, everybody's got a, a handheld, you know, camera these days. So almost, almost all these incidents are getting filmed these days. So like there's some sort of video footage of it somewhere and you see cops under pressure and making, making some bad, generally they're going to show you the bad decisions, right? Of like somebody who in a situation would have been like, I should have done this. My training here would right. have let me here. And my, my confidence would have, uh, you know, taken me to this decision rather than that decision. Right. Yeah, but I think I think you're 100 percent right. And I was trying to come up with an analogy for your swimming world. And, and right. here's the best one I can do. If you, if you're coaching me for an open water swim, mm-hmm. right, whether it's the ocean or a lake somewhere, right. But but the environment I'm in, maybe the location, means I only get to train in a pool. I don't have access to open water. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't see me in open water and you do all my coaching in the pool. By the time we fly or drive to the lake or the ocean 
and my first exposure to open water swim is when it's time to compete, you really don't know how I'm going to react. Yeah. Right. right? Like you, you don't know if the tides and the waves are going to just cause me issues. You don't know. It's the same for police training. If I train in the pool where it's sterile and everything's scripted and there's no sweating and there's no decision-making and we're just going through outline after outline to say, I showed you the skills. Well, when it comes to the real world and you're in the open waters, I really don't know how you're going to respond. I know you have these skills, but I don't know if you have the emotional control. I don't know if you have the mental fortitude. I don't know if you have the confidence that if you are getting pushed deep and the, the bad guy, it's his night, and he's really pushing you to places you haven't been, will you fight through it? I don't know, which is why I say law enforcement a lot of times doesn't need more training. It needs better training. It needs training that mimics the real world, which means you should mm. sweat in training. You should mm. physically exert in training. You mm. should leave training going, you know what? That guy cares about me and he made me better today. Not mm. I sat through eight hours of PowerPoint and I'll never remember this. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that is too much of what law enforcement mm. training is. And that's what mm. I that's what I want to shift. And that's what I do with my company is when I show up, we're going to work, we're going to sweat, we're going to, we're going to push our limits, we're going to, we're going to want to quit. And I want you to want to quit. Because everybody wants to quit. But the difference is when we do something that makes us want to quit, and we don't quit and we go and we go a little further, we just got better. Because our quit, our, we used to quit here. And now we quit here. And then next time we train, we're going to push. And then when we start wanting to quit, we're going to go a little further, just like you would an athlete. This seems like a shift in philosophy, which I love, by the way, because we're the shift in philosophy and swimming went the same way too, to like race pace, race specific training of like, do what you want to do in practice in a race kind of thing. You know, so like practice mimics racing. And that's basically yeah. what you're saying here is like, have the environment of training mimic the environment of as close as you can of, of real world activity. And so how did this philosophy shift where they've allowed you to come in and get out of the classroom and, and, and bring mm. people out? Well, I retired. So I, I'm my own boss now, so I don't have to answer to nobody. And, and quite honestly, I meet a lot of resistance, Brett. There's a lot of agencies yeah. around the country that are like, well, we don't think we can do this for injury potential. Like you might hurt more people. And I say, hey, I've been doing this since 2006. Here's mm. my injury numbers. Here's the difference is that we got to train differently if we want different outcomes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? If we want the same results, keep doing what we're doing. But if we're not happy with it, let's change it. Let's let's challenge it a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and and what I you said exactly what I believe in. There's a joke in law enforcement that if you want to sell stuff to police officers, you paint it black and you put some Velcro on it and cops will buy it because it's tactical, <laughs> right? Which mm. is kind of a... Uh, kind of how we look law enforcement a lot of times puts up blinders and they only want to do what law enforcement is doing whereas me and a lot of people that are challenging the envelope i'm like no wait a second brett's a division one coach he's coaching some of the best athletes in the world what's he doing how does he get him, how does he get his athletes to believe in themselves when they want to quit in the pool well if it applies there i can do it with police officers because it ultimately it's about performing Right now, there's a diff. There's sport performing, and there's law enforcement performing. And if it's working in sport, where the difference is split seconds between a gold medal and a silver, silver or first and second, yeah, 
that it might work in law enforcement where the difference is split seconds between life and death, between community support and complete abandonment by your community, mm. between a life of me and, and all the things that are important to me and a life that comes after I maybe took somebody else's life. Right. Like that's a completely different thing. And if I could change those split seconds to have you making decisions based on confidence and belief, just like the athletes, then that's a win for all of us. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any solution to this one? And, and I know it's a tough one. It's too big to tackle. Um, and and, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't even really want to go there, but it's just like <laughs> it, it, but it's just it's just so at the forefront of everything in America right now in terms of mass shootings, like how do we stop this thing? How, how do we stop it? That, that's all I care about. You know, I don't care yeah. about the politics. I don't care about what your belief and whatever side you're on in terms of gun. How do we stop it? That's what I care about. i got twin girls that are sitting in the bedroom over there, 14 year old girls right. who go to, go to high school every day. And I, I'm fearful. I got to tell you, I'm fearful, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You're, you, you feel that way and, and and it sucks that we're raising kids in this society now where school shootings are a reality that they have to kind of have somewhat in their frame of mind right um yeah that's awful and i'm thankful my kids are a little older even though they went through some of this but i gotta tell you man like mental health to me is where things begin and end and and that's such a big, like it's a big broad spectrum, right? Yeah, and, and I think right. there's a lot of lot of things that factor in, but I, I recently was talking with Zach Mercurio. He's a PhD that studies uh, purpose and mattering. And he was talking about people today, more so than ever, feel invisible. Right. Even yes. with all the technology and all the stuff, like we just don't know that we matter to anybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, he, and he really hit me when he said like, when you don't know that you matter to anybody, you become anti-matter, which mm -hmm. now means you're going to act out to see, do I matter? And gun control is its own thing. I think there's got to be some middle ground. Like, I, I don't like extremes in any political stance, right? Like, I think right. most Americans are in the middle. We just don't have a very loud voice because the extremes are yeah. what get all the attention. Yeah. So I think there's got to be some legitimate reform in the middle ground. But I think more than anything, if we all go, okay, wait a second, I can't make the president, whichever party, do this or that or pass this law or that law. But what I can do is make sure that people around me know they matter so that if anybody is thinking, do I matter to anybody in the world? Well, at least they might hear from me that they matter today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think I, I th and that's what I would love people to take. If, if you don't take anything else from this, Brett, is like, let's check on each other, whether they're cops or not cops, whether they're citizens or not, whether you're 14 year old girls, maybe go check on that kid at school today that always eats lunch by himself. Mm -hmm. Maybe we go sit with him and we ask, hey, why do you eat lunch by yourself? What's mm -hmm. your name? Right. Like, let's let's stop. I guess here's what I would say. Let's stop passing a lot of responsibility to other people are going to do things. And let's go, wait a second. In my world, if you come in my world today, I'm going to make sure you know you matter. Whether you're the custodian at the pool, the kid that eats lunch by themselves, uh, the random, the barista, the grocery store, whatever it is, I'm going to be nice to you and I'm going to appreciate you. See because people. What if, see people. See them, yes. Because what if, what if, Brett, 
I'm the only person that does that for you all day. Right? Well, that's one more than there wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's and that's where I, I get and that's where we're going way back to earlier about America and just kind of our softness is we have a tendency to just sit back and think everybody has somebody else's problem. All these mm-hmm. things are somebody else's job. Tell me the solution. No, no, I want us to have the solution. And I truly believe a lot of the acting out we see through violence as a result of when people just don't know they matter to nobody. Yeah, yeah. Huge part of it. Absolutely. Right, like how many of these mass shootings? I said you brought it up. Listen, how many of these mass shootings have you heard people say, "Oh yeah, this guy was a complete like he was a great athlete. She was a fantastic choir singer. They mm-hmm. had lots of no, mm-hmm. right? That's not the story. Yeah. What are we constantly hearing? Loner, yeah. isolated, yeah. disenfranchised. Well, let let's try to pull people in instead of pushing away everybody that's different than us or everybody that that makes us, you know, maybe it's not cool if I hang out over here. Let's pull people in. Let's care about people. And then we'll see if that can't maybe impact a little bit of the violence we see. Good point, man. I think that's the easiest and most effective thing we can do right now. Everybody can do that, man. Everybody can just walk outside right now and just notice someone that you haven't noticed before and just thank them for whatever they're doing right there and then. And that's going to go such a long way. And that'll permeate throughout the whole of America. If everybody's doing that, every single citizen is going to do that today. That will change. That will shift things. Um, right. What if we all yeah. did one person a day? Yeah. Think about your reach. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's all you can do. Like, I, you don't need money. You don't need an advanced degree. I don't need a self-help guru. Mm-hmm. I just got to go out and go like, you know what? I'm going to pay attention to one new person today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it doesn't work, right? Maybe I'm idealistic and, and maybe I, I've been punched in the head too many times to think like this. But if it doesn't work, are we any worse off? No, it can't, right? it can't, it can't hurt. It, can't, it cannot hurt. Right? <laughs> That's what I hurt. say. It can't hurt. You know, being nice never hurts, you know, no. and seeing someone never hurts. But, um, what about what you're doing now, man? Pretty, pretty fun. You've kind of packed up and living out at a, a RV now. Yeah, man, I'm in my Airstream right now. My wife and I are out in the desert of Arizona. We are avoiding the snow at all costs. Uh, we've had <laughs> enough of that. And yeah, after COVID, you know, we we just were like, wait a second, we want more out of life here. Like there's, our kids were finishing high school and moving on. And we're like, let's just sell all our stuff and go travel. So we sold a couple properties and a gym. And yeah, now everything we own is in the either back of the pickup truck or in this airstream. We just travel the country, meeting super awesome people, seeing things I've never seen, and not being cold. So it's like a semi-retirement. You're still working, but you're you're yeah. doing it on the road, then, huh? Yeah, yeah. I still run my classes remotely, and then I'll travel into coach in person. I do the podcast right here from the airstream, and wow. I write from here. And I'll tell you. Um, the number one question we get from people, because this is a, we're just finishing our second year of full time just traveling. Mm. Um, people are always like, "What's what's the one thing you didn't expect?" And here's what I'll tell you, Brett. There are so many nice people in the world. Mm-hmm. I very seldom meet mean people, and mm-hmm. like we're we're out in the middle of the desert. Like some people that are camped near us have probably half million dollar rigs that are well to do. Other people are living out of converted box trailers, and that's all they own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's worth maybe $2,000. But what I'm going to tell you is you walk by them, they're nice. Mm-hmm. If you need something, they'll help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it is so refreshing to get away and kind of quiet the noise in your life and just see what things really are. So I, I just yeah. challenge people to get out and just drop some preconceived notions and evaluate, man. There's so many nice people in the world. How do you pick what's next? What, what do you guys do? You look at a map and be like, yeah, let's go over here. Uh, my wife does, bro. I would love <laughs> to tell you. I would love to tell you that. That's all my wife. I drive. I pick. She tells me where we're going. I mm. look at the map and pick the routes and make sure we can get there. Because I was a city kid. Um, this mm. truck and camper, I never owned a pickup or a trailer until we bought these and I drove them away. So this has all been brand new to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, we just look where we want to go. We know we're going to spend the summer in Wyoming. So we'll start migrating north. And then uh, next year, I think we're going to go to spend winter in Mexico. We're going to wow. drive down there. Wow. Wow. What's What's been, I mean, you got you guys could write a book on this, but like what's been the coolest, most fascinating thing you've seen so far? Mm, coolest most we did a month in costa rica so that was super awesome beautiful um oh unbelievable uh this last winter believe it or not i walked into mexico three times like i walked across the border to go into mexico amid all the border crisis just to see what's going on um and i was in a small town so it was super fun and safe but i actually watched a snowstorm blow into arizona from mexico which wow. I ne I had no idea that was possible. Wow, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, wow. No, nope. yeah. So that was probably this year's biggest thing that kind of surprised me. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome, man. Well, very, very uh, jealous of kind of the decision in life to kind of pack up and just do something like that. That uh, <laughs> sounds like something that's in my future for sure, you know, but. Uh, yeah, we'll have yeah. to stay in touch and share stories. I mean, 14, you only got a few more years and then they're yeah, out yeah. on their own. Yeah, exactly. Just trying to get them out the door and get them, get them into the world, man. So, but uh, I'm going to go in there and tell them I love them after this one. You've, you've inspired me to at least do that. So, yeah. I mean, I do it anyway, but I uh, certainly want to jump straight off this and go do it. So, Jared, <laughs> appreciate it, man. I appreciate you, Brett. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Take care. Good luck. All right. Same to you. Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years. Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, -T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com.